0: From the dark web to your radio dial, you are listening to Cybertalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to Cybertalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, and I'm joined this week by Michael Guido, the CEO at Kinetic Cloud, and we're going to be talking about government technology. Uh, Government technology accesses data, um, or you're feeding data into government systems, and there's all sorts of conversations and cyber thoughts about that, so if you want to learn more, stick with us here on the radio. If you're listening uh, on iTunes or Pocket or another podcasting service, thank you for uh, joining us on this episode. If you do like to listen to this type of things on podcasting services, and you you uh, don't find our program on the service of your choice, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, We will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt and we will get our program added to that podcasting service. So Michael, thanks for joining us and uh, just uh, share a little bit of the background for audience on how did you get into this and why do technology for government?
1: Thanks for having me today. Um, So I I got into uh, technology, I guess, at a pretty early age. I started with computer science in high school and then did systems engineering uh, at university and then did IT consulting for, you know, Fortune 500 companies for a little while and got pretty frustrated with the way that technology implementations were happening, um, you know, multi-year, $100 million engagements. And as AWS started rolling out, you know, S3 and their other cloud products, I realized there's a much faster way to innovate on behalf of these organizations, and, and that's what really piqued my interest.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, this is, is one, well, we've seen some stuff up at the federal government level. They've uh, put together kind of a, a tiger team, I'm going to call it, that has gone around to um, uh, some different processes where those uh, different federal agencies have tried to put things online, and they go back in and redo it and clean it all up, and uh so it, it sounds like here in, in San Antonio though similar thing going on at the the city level with Civtech SA.
1: Yeah, um uh, Civtech SA was a a program that uh you know uh city manager Scully launched uh with the Office of Innovation and they were really looking to engage the tech community to embrace um you know new ideas to kind of rapidly innovate on behalf of citizens and um, Kinetic was interested in, you know, a couple of the challenges and ultimately got selected for one with the Department of Human Services.
0: As you look through bringing technology into government, uh, for the listeners out there, uh, go ahead and, and walk them through what is this, the process, what was going on with the Department of Human Services before technology came in and how, how have you guys changed that for, for what's happening there at that department?
1: So the Department of Human Services offers uh, a lot of different services to the citizens of San Antonio. With the Emergency Utility Assistance Program, uh, this is a, a program that's available to citizens who are within 125% of the federal poverty line, and it it gives them some relief on their uh, power and and water bill, uh, typically during you know the the hottest and coldest months of the year in San Antonio, and so. Um, folks who are living within 125 percent of the federal poverty line typically do not have, uh, you know, their own vehicle. They don't have uh, their own car, or printer. So, to print off a paper application, deliver it to the facility. Um, you know, they have to go pay for the pages. They have to scan these documents that verify who they are. And so it's a very cumbersome process uh, for them, and it creates barriers for folks who need this program. It
0: creates a lot of paperwork for the agency to process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they, they process over 10,000 applications a year. It impacts uh, over, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60,000 residents um, and, and these are, you know, both children, children and you know, our families with young children and, and elderly folks.
0: Yeah, because those are the two categories where you you see some of that poverty line hit pretty quickly. Where folks add more kids to the house, but don't add more income to go along with it, and that'll change the budgeting that you you were okay last year, but it's not okay this year.
1: Right, and so these are the the most at risk individuals, in, in our city, and and working with the Office of Innovation, the Department of Human Services had streamlined this process from you know multiple different applications into a single paper form and. Uh, Kinetic was brought in to help them take the the logical next step, which was to digitize that application and to make it accessible to these folks. So what we did was built a, a web and mobile application that they would be able to access the camera on their phone and submit their documents that way. So what we found was that it, it was able to reduce the cost and the barrier for these uh, folks to actually apply for for the service that's already available
0: yeah and I, I suspect so this is what many processes out there so your business process is usually about getting data from one party another party analyzing that data, doing something with it, and then there's some outcome at the end. And this is typically, and this could be done with paper, this could be done with a slide rule, hopefully not anymore, if someone's using a slide rule, please go buy a pocket calculator, they're really affordable now. But And, and then you go through and you have the outcome at the end. And in these processes, I would suspect the paper application before uh, Kinetic came along to, to help modernize uh, this end-to-end, that paper application was likely getting typed into a computer system by somebody working for DHS.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of duplicative data entry. In addition to that, uh, because of the volume that the city is processing, uh, the volume of applications that the city's processing, it's impossible to provide updates to the individual applicants on, on where they are. So you know, these are, like we said, the most at risk individuals, this is critical to them to be able to, you know, put food on the table. And, you know, they plan on it for some of their budgets during some of the worst months when their water or electric bill may be higher for from heating or cooling their home. Yeah. Um, And
0: and this is a thing where where timeliness matters. Absolutely. It it can't take 30 extra days to process this application because that was last month's power bill.
1: Right. and, And you know, one of the side effects um, of consolidating the application was that it wasn't always clear to the applicants on, you know, what paperwork was required for the service they were requesting. Yeah. And so while it streamlined the process, it, it what ended up happening was DHS was going through applications that were incomplete. And because it was paper-based, there's a lot of mail going back and forth, which further delays the credit being applied.
0: Yeah. So as you you're going through on this and and on the the paper form look the paper form is safe from cyber criminals like it's pretty hard to hack the paper application it's hard for cyber criminals to fill out a bunch of fake paper applications uh, but there's that burden of processing those paper applications. It's slow. The the employees at DHS are doing the, the overhead operating themselves. So one of the things that we we hear very often is that, look, this paper process is safe, whether it's at a medical office where you, you go in and you see all the wall of records and they're like, hackers can't get these. But there's, I think, all sorts of, of problems that we won't dive into here on the, the paper record side of things. But so in this case, so you guys have now made this application accessible via web and mobile, Uh, And you've made it now where it's on the internet and there's this new scary cyber risk that it's on the internet and and hackers could go after it or hackers could fill out fake applications and spam the system and create a denial of service. What are you guys seeing so far on the application and, and kind of for DHS I'm sure they're going to get some more spam now, like it's going to be greater than zero because you didn't get a lot of spam paper applications. That was really hard to fill out. But the amount of time and energy that they're spending, um, how's the, the workforce and the employee efficiency things going along there at DHS?
1: So before the digital application was built, it it was taking approximately 45 minutes to you know verify that all the supporting documents are there. And that you know the, the the applicant is in fact a, a resident of San Antonio. Um, we've r- reduced that time to almost 50 percent. It's down to about 25 minutes. And when we build a direct integration to the case management system, we expect the processing to drop uh, even further, maybe down to five or 10 minutes. So, uh, you know, significant increase in efficiency for on the city side. Yeah.
0: And so you could you could deal with a, a bunch of spam applications at that, especially those spam applications. Somebody fills a form out and their name is is Bob Jones and Bob Jones doesn't actually live here. They just hit, they flag it and delete it or whatever else. But are you guys even seeing any of that stuff yet?
1: Not yet. So, um, you know, I think the, the biggest component of this and, and really what we were focusing on was, you have the data entry and the acknowledgments that the applicant is applying, and then you have the the human aspect from DHS where they're making sure that the documents back up who the person is who they say. So if it's a family with small children, they need to provide a birth certificate. Yeah, um, we can tell if that's you know legitimate or not. Same thing, government issued ID, and that needs to match the applicant name that was put in. So
0: yeah. So as you're going through now, you're handling this sensitive information, and so do you get folks saying, you know what, I'm willing to put a photocopy of my driver's license, or I'm willing to put a photocopy of my ID, or I'm willing to put a photocopy of my son or daughter's birth certificate and hand that in a paper application, but I'm not willing to do a digital version of that. I'm worried it's going to be in some system and get leaked out.
1: Yeah. So we worked a lot with the uh, information technology office with the city of San Antonio to make sure that all of the document submission is secure. And the initial feedback we've gotten from, you know, the applicants who are applying has been pretty positive. You know, they want this service. And if we are able to eliminate the hassle of, you know, scanning documents. Most people don't have a scanner today. Yeah. Um, or and a photocopier. Then, or a photocopier and then, and then having to, you know, deliver these documents in person because it's, it's an emergency. These folks are having to take time off work to do that and, you know, potentially use public transportation. So to be able to submit it when it's convenient for them, uh, I think significantly outweighs the concern around, you know, submitting some personal identifiable information.
0: You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're talking about government technology, um, secure data submission. And uh, I'm joined this week by the CEO of Kinetic Cloud. Uh, they've uh, been working on a submission process to uh, help folks here in the San Antonio area uh, get uh, emergency assistance for utilities. So if... Uh, you uh, know someone who may need help I I know we're coming through summer here we've had some rain it's been cooling off Uh, you may not have the electricity bill up the level uh, it was a couple of months ago but maybe even if you're a little bit behind and you're trying to figure it out uh, check out uh, the new online uh, way you can submit this via a web or mobile uh, through uh, the work that uh, Connecticut has done with uh, Tech SA and the city's Office of Innovation. This has been a uh, an exciting project to see to come to uh, the kind of first release here and uh, looking forward to uh, all the things that they can continue to build out there to make uh, city services uh, more accessible um, and I really I think as well more secure because there's this this belief that uh, having paper records keeps the, the paper safe but then at the same time we're all told don't Put sticky notes on your desk with your passwords so is it okay to have somebody's birth certificate or driver's license sitting on your desk in a paper folder but it's not okay to have your password so this i think there's this false dichotomy out there of of that having paper records just automatically makes them safe and paper records are Uh, Less expensive to keep safe Paper records are less expensive to store And I think as you go through All of those things It's just this hidden cost of the existing processes That people aren't looking at When you you think about filing cabinets And shredders And all of the things And I mean for these type of The DHS ones here, I don't know how long they are required to keep these records, but it might be years.
1: Yeah, it's uh, actually over five years. And to have permission to actually destroy the documents, they have to fill out another document. So what ends up happening is they end up getting stored indefinitely. And when you're processing, you know, 10,000 applications over 15 pages a piece that starts to add up pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. So you end up with a warehouse full of, of these records and other records. And then you're paying to for the warehouse, you're paying to air condition the warehouse cause you can't let the warehouse just get hot and steamy. Cause then all the pages stick together and all your records are ruined. So uh, it, it's uh, when, when people think about, well, technology is expensive and complicated when you really start to peel the onion back on these manual business processes that are, are full of paper they're actually more expensive and more complicated. There's a higher chance of error, uh, and there's just a, a lot of ongoing operational burden uh, to be able to deliver these processes using paper.
1: Yeah, and you know, for this program in particular, because uh, of the various funding sources, there's always the chance of an audit, so the the government may want to understand, and, and the funding sources may want to understand, you know, SAWS and CPS, you know, who, who did you apply these credits to and how can we verify that they're actually legitimate? Well, then you have to go retrieve those documents. And so being able to do a simple database query and say, give me all of the applications between this date and this date. And then you are able to quickly sort them, you know, see by decision and then retrieve the documents if you need them. And then from a from a security perspective, you know, cloud storage and particularly AWS, you know, is, is a, is a leader in the space and they specialize in making sure that data is encrypted and secure, both from a a virtual perspective and also from a physical, you know, nobody has access to those, um, data centers without, you know, permission and supervision.
0: Yeah. No, that's, I mean, when you, you run some of these things at scale, they can have physical security at the data centers. They can do, uh, all sorts of things that uh, even a uh, uh an IT team the size of the city of San Antonio, which is a, a major metro in the US. And if you're listening on the radio, you know we're in San Antonio. If you happen to be listening via iHeart or uh, listening to us on a podcasting service, this program's in San Antonio. We're the seventh largest city, I think, in the US. And uh, the I'll say it, and I, I don't think uh, uh, Jose or anybody over the city would be offended, but Amazon's internet security team is better than the city of San Antonio's. And it's just, it's a matter of scale. It's a matter of size and resources. The city does a great job keeping things safe. We've had on an um, election commissioner here for Bear County, and I think Bear County does a great job with the, the team they have, the resources, and the processes they've designed. But, I mean, this is just one, yeah, where you, you look at a, a cloud provider such as Amazon or Google or a lot of these folks, and uh, they've uh, built out very large, high-quality teams that are, are working on this stuff all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to specialization. So, you know, you have the DHS can focus on the services that they're offering and they can let, you know, rest easy knowing that their data is secure and the citizens of San Antonio's data is secure.
0: Yeah. So uh, outside the, uh, the city of San Antonio, uh, this can't be your, your only project and your only customer because uh, this project's not big enough to really run a whole company yet.
1: No, yeah, Uh, Kinetic has uh, over 50 customers in 32 different states. Uh, We work with organizations in the financial services sector, construction, project management. So uh, we're trying to bring uh, custom cloud software to every organization that uh, recognizes the potential, but maybe doesn't have the team internally to recognize that potential. And using you know agile software development, we're able to rapidly innovate and bring those solutions to them.
0: Yeah. So uh, how do you generally find out about the or the, get matched up with these customers? So are, they, are cities putting out RFPs trying to solve this? Do they even know that these things are available? Because this is always one kind of the chicken and the egg thing is, you can do things, and I'm sure there are other folks out there trying to do similar stuff, but if the city's not aware or these governments or counties or states, if they're not aware that these things can get done, they may not even issue uh, an RFP for this type of stuff. H- how does that whole process work from an awareness perspective uh, so that they can, you can start getting these things uh, from a, a business for you? But as a, a citizen and a taxpayer, um, I mean, I want all of our governments doing things in a, a better, more secure, more efficient manner.
1: Yeah, it's, it's uh it is a tricky kind of nut to crack, if you will. Um, I think really since the iPhone was launched in 2007, uh, customer perceptions have changed, you know, everyone probably remembers there's an app for that and everything from, you know, transportation to financial services are now done over a smartphone. And so citizens are demanding those types of services and, and governments are, are trying to respond to that need, um, both from a, a budgetary constraint perspective, but also just to improve and enhance the services that are offered to citizens. So it takes, you know, forward thinking city officials and, and management teams to embrace it. And, um, you know, I think the best approach is to really just start small, find a, a, a an island project, if you will, where it's, you know, not a big bang approach and Um, work to improve that process. And then once you start there, it's pretty easy to start rolling it out to other services. Yeah. So for
0: a a typical project uh, for you guys, so coming in, uh, is it something where this is done in two weeks, two months, two years? How How does it, what does a typical scenario look like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we can typically launch a functioning application in about a month. Um, and, and that's you know your your core minimum functionality that's required this program with the city uh, went over 16 weeks and you know from a development perspective probably about six of those six weeks was dedicated to development and the rest was really focused on process and and meetings and and working with the team making sure we understand you know the requirements and focusing on the, the customer experience which you know, Edward and his team over at DHS and Melody were very focused on, you know, first the citizens of San Antonio and then internally on on their team to be able to process it.
0: Yeah, and I think this is one for, for those listening and you, you think that all of these technology projects are just all software development and, and and software development's the thing that takes up all the time in the whole project. As you just heard Michael there say, it's a 16 weeks, six of which was really focused on development. Ten weeks focused on making sure you're going to actually develop the right thing, uh, and then on the training for the users and to make sure that everyone understands that the change in the workflow and the process and how things are going to be done differently. And if you you don't do the requirements gathering and validation up front, um, just like if you're going to go build a house, if you just tell the uh, general contractor, "I want two thousand square feet." Um, you could, if you're not any more specific than that, who knows what the heck you're going to get. You might not be very happy with it. Same thing in the software development. If you're just like, I want you to write some software to change this process uh, that the, the builder, which is the developer in this case, their ideas of what might be the right thing to do may not align with yours. And, um, I think in, in the software world, people skip this requirements gathering phase. Cause they're like, it's just bits on a computer and I can just go back and change them real easy. Um, where if like you're building a house, everyone double and triple checks the plans before you you go put the the first uh, nail into the uh, or before you pour the cement for the foundation. they're always double and triple checking that because you feel like on the physical construction it's harder to go um, and redo it. but it's just I think it's hard in the software side. how do you you have those conversations about requirements gathering with with the the agencies and with folks that maybe that have not done, um, uh, projects like this before.
1: Sure. So, uh, with this particular project and really the way Kinetic operates is is a significant departure from you know my days as a consultant. So, while there is some requirements gathering, we are developing in an agile process. So, what that means is we have the end user or or you know the client specify uh, what we call user stories. You know what the actual functional pieces that. The application needs to accomplish for them. And then we take a first crack at, okay, well, how does this look as from a software perspective? And then we put that right back in front of the client as soon as it's a, a piece of deployable code. so that by getting that constant collaboration with the team, we're able to flush out you know the most critical requirements first. and and that you know we are constantly uh, tweaking the architecture to be able to support what they're looking to do. Um, but we're not talking about, you know, tons of pages of documents. It's, it's all embedded into the, the cloud software that we're developing.
0: Yeah. So this is, as you, you go through on the, the house building analogy, you're, you're checking in with your general contractor on a regular basis and, and the GC may say, you know what, we thought we were going to be able to put the island in the kitchen here, but it turns out that it's going to need to be moved over here a little bit. And you change as you, you go along the way and, and you can come out, see the software, see where it's at on the projects. And and you can make those tweaks as it goes along and as it's under construction.
1: Yeah. Using the house building example, it's uh, similar. It would be like the owner of the house walking the property while we're pouring the concrete. So it's very close uh, collaboration. And we actually use visual models to uh, break down the barrier between, you know, business process and technical folks.
0: So you're listening to CyberTalk Radio on 1200 WAI. And we've been talking about technology for government uh, with Michael, the CEO of Kinetic Cloud. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here for a news traffic and weather update at the bottom of the hour. If you uh, just turned your radio on now, you can listen to the rebroadcast and a replay of this on our website on Tuesday, October the ninth. Uh, it'll also be up on our YouTube channel. If you would love to watch a still photo of us uh, while we have this conversation, uh, we've been asked about doing video before, and um, it's, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so we are a, a radio program and a podcast. Uh, the YouTube folks uh, seem to still allow us to put up a still photo surprisingly we have more podcast subscribers than we do youtube subscribers and i think it'll stay with that way Uh, for now on into the future Uh, if you are listening to us uh, on 1200 WAI right now we're going to take that news traffic and weather update Uh, we're going to be back to talk about why cities should invest in innovation and technology and then we've got another kind of example of the changes in the way technology is getting rolled out and deployed now versus the uh, kind of big upfront project and a maintenance fee uh, to uh, a cloud-based subscription and uh, as a service where uh, you as the customer get to hold uh, that software company accountable every single month uh, to continue delivering value to you so it's not one where they can uh, get that check and then go run off to uh, the islands and vacation for the rest of their life so we will uh, be right back here on CyberTalk radio Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, and this week we're talking about uh, the importance of technology for government and uh, where things are headed uh, over the next 20 years. Uh, with uh, metro areas growing, it's going to become even more important. And uh, if you are just joining us after that news traffic and weather update, uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast and a replay of this program on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, October the 9th. It'll be up there along with our past uh, two years worth of uh, programs now. So we've covered uh, all sorts of things, whether it's election security. I know this is one we've got elections coming up here uh, in November and folks are wondering if I'm going to go vote here in Bear County, how safe is it going to be? So we had on Jackie Cal Allen and a uh, I grilled her for an hour and uh, they've thought about everything that they need to think about uh, in order to keep your vote safe here in Bear County. So I th- it was a-, a pleasure to have her on and uh, it was uh, wonderful just to go through and uh, be able to sh- uh, share with our audience uh, all the things uh, that they're doing in order to keep y- your vote safe here uh, in Bear County and uh, to help us uh, have uh, good, trustworthy elections uh, all across America. So I know as uh, we... Uh, Gone into that break, Michael, we had talked, uh, we were going to dive into a little bit about uh, why cities should invest in this. And I know it was with the bottom of the hour uh, break there. We were, you'd mentioned, I mean, this, the growth in the, the metros that we're expecting. And I think the San Antonio for residents here, folks can't hear them. We've got people moving here all the time. The city's uh, going to double in population. But uh, from the stats you were sharing, it this is not just San Antonio. This is metro areas everywhere are growing.
1: Yes, San Antonio is one of the fastest growing cities in the country, but uh, today the United Nations uh, estimates that about 55% of the world's population lives in urban areas. And by 2050, they're expecting that to grow to almost 70%. So. You know, cities that don't invest in both physical infrastructure and virtual infrastructure are going to see you know significant drain on their resources and and drags on their economy. Um, just moving goods and services and waste disposal and water management is going to be critical.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, so this is is one I think uh, with we hear this is that like uh, the government's never going to modernize these processes because then someone's going to not have a job anymore. And I think government, uh, in my view is just like the private sector. If you can eliminate one thing that someone's responsible for doing, there's three or four things that they could be doing that's just not getting done right now.
1: Yeah, I think there's a complete misconception around digitization. Uh, I know there's a lot of fear mongering about artificial intelligence as well. And the reality is that You know, the simple kind of blocking and tackling, if you will, process improvements where you are eliminating repetitive tasks that computers can do easily, you will enable, you know, knowledge workers, citizens, service workers to do higher value added services, you know, people like interacting with people. And so um, eliminating those monotonous tasks and empowering those individuals to then do higher value-adding tasks is, is really what the focus is on.
0: Yeah, so both the, the customer slash citizen, uh, if you're, you're going to, to get services from the government, and the, the actual worker, everyone's satisfaction level goes up after you reduce those uh, monotonous Portions of the process.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think a perfect example is, you know, with the CivTech application for the Emergency Assistance Program, just the sheer volume of applications, uh, the DHS workers, client service specialists were not able to uh, update the status and let someone know where their application is in the queue and you know how quick it'll be processed now using the digital application we built. Uh, every time the process changes, the citizen gets a notification, uh, right now it's via email. Uh, we're working with the city to implement SMS notifications and, and get email updates across the board. And and that's something that just literally was not possible because of the sheer volume, um, It also becomes key when you're trying to retrieve additional information from an applicant uh, rather than doing a, you know, paper-based snail mail back and forth. You know, it's almost instantaneous now with with, uh, technology.
0: Yeah, and in the time-sensitive application that you guys built for DHS, every um, interaction back and forth that you can speed up uh, will make a, a huge difference. So. Uh, I mean, so you've, you've got this growing populations, um, cities from a, a budget perspective, the budgets are not growing necessarily at the rate the population's growing for most cities. so they've got to figure out how to get more efficient. Uh, and I mean is it, it seems like as you, you go through either uh, the technology project though has a, a big upfront cost or does it these days like how, how does that work is like cities like how can I afford to to roll out technology like it might make things better. Two or three years from now, but I've got to write this giant check um, to to get going with with you with with anyone out there that's going to come do a project for us.
1: Yeah, so you know this is where I think the as a service uh, economy is really making a huge difference. So in the past, you would have a large upfront cost to procure all of these servers and and then configure them correctly. Now this has been virtualized with the uh, major cloud providers: AWS, uh, Azure, Google Cloud. Uh, the upfront cost is negligible, and and um, you know what we're seeing, you know the the best, most innovative companies in the world, the Teslas, Amazon, Spotify's, apples of the world are, you know, using agile development to quickly push updates. Um, if anyone owns a Tesla out there, you get your over the air updates. Um, this is the same thing that Kinetic and other software as a service providers can do, where you know, the burden to update does not fall on the client anymore. It falls on the provider. And by, you know, lowering the upfront cost and and then having, you know, long-term annual licenses, interests are aligned between uh, the client and the consultant. And this was not always the case. You know, if your primary revenue driver was, you know, asses and chairs, then you're not really incentivized to solve the problem. And uh, now that's changed with the as-a-service economy.
0: If it's just a fixed bid of if you, you build this thing to the minimum spec requirements and then we cut you a check and then you're done, uh, you're incentivized to do it just barely good enough to get it over the hurdle um, and then take your money and go retire on a beach somewhere. Uh, but in the, the as a service model, you've got to continue to earn that customer's business on an ongoing basis. And I, I think this, I mean, this works out better for both the, the municipality and for the, the software provider. Um, because in in that consulting world as well, like if you get a really big project, you might have to hire thirty people for the big project, and then the project ends, and then you've got to tell those thirty people, "I'm sorry, I don't have a job for you anymore." And you get this this roller coaster ride up and down for many of these um, kind of big upfront project based uh, consulting in the software world. And and with that that up and down, you you have to pad in a lot of of different things in the software as a service world. You have a team that is they're working on that platform all the time um, and it's consistently it's much more of a a marathon pace and it's one where uh, the revenue continues to come in um, but you don't have the upfront price and that allows you as a a business to um, have the right number of personnel on staff all the time and you can have more stable employee life uh, better for them and uh, better for the customer then
1: yeah absolutely it's it's about you know helping plan and making sure that, you know, the client is getting served adequately. And, and by, you know, aligning those interests, um, you know, I think it's a win-win for everyone involved.
0: So you've you've got the drop in upfront costs as you, you move to this as a service model. So instead of a big check and then maybe some tiny little maintenance fee afterwards, but the maintenance fee is really putting the burden on the municipality to install the software updates and patches and maintenance all themselves and so the as-a-service model changes that but I mean what else has been going on in the software development world to to really change the cost of of systems and deployment and and management of this stuff over the long run
1: Yeah, I think there's kind of two trends. So obviously, you know, folks who are familiar with technology have probably heard of Moore's law Um, as the, you know, size of the microprocessor, you know, decreases by half. The the cost also decreases about 50%. So, you know, from the late 1990s, the cost of software has dropped, uh, hardware, excuse me, has dropped, you know, almost 70%. Um, and and you know worse you can see that on the as a consumer where when flat screen TVs first came out you know they were multiple thousands of dollars now they're you know less than a thousand dollars except for your super high end yeah, models. I
0: heard somebody got a, a and I don't know if they're still running it or not, but one of the uh, online um I going to call it a membership club. They also have stores. I won't name them on here, but they were running a an eighty five inch Physio for nineteen ninety nine available via online. So you get an eighty five inch television now for for less than 2000 thousand It's crazy.
1: Yeah. So that, that's on the hardware side. And then on the software side, um, you know, what we're seeing is the uh, proliferation of what we call, uh, you know, low code platforms or frameworks and what this allows, uh, organizations to take advantage of, um, you know, and kinetic is a, a great example with the city of San Antonio, we're managing one code base, um, that's device agnostic. So that means that it, it's more accessible. It works, you know, across uh, device type, whether you have a smartphone or a tablet, and operating system, whether you're, you know, Android, iOS, or a Windows, and this uh, provides a, a more seamless user experience, regardless of you know your your customer and and the device that they prefer. Um, but it, it also uh, decreases the maintenance cost. You're not having to keep an Android app and an iOS app up to date and. Um, I think that's, that cost savings is, again, something that's helped drive the cost down, and, and we pass that on to the customer. Yeah. So
0: and with the uh, kind of accessibility piece of this as well, so from a, a government perspective, uh, many folks maybe don't have a computer at home. They don't have Internet access at home, but, I mean, it, it seems like cell phones are pretty ubiquitous at this point with Internet on that phone.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I think that the internet and, and there is a digital divide and that's something that, you know, again, we talked about cities investing in technology. That's a, a key area where, you know, someday I hope that, you know, most cities have at least a basic broadband that's, you know, free or very cheap. Um, but today the internet and, and having some form of connectivity, um, is, is almost a necessity like your utilities, uh, water and power. And, and I, think that, you know, taking that into consideration uh, was a key part of the development for this. And that's why we're moving, you know, not only from email notifications, but to SMS, because like you said, some folks may not have an email, but most of them have a a cell phone and, and more likely than not a smartphone. I think there's over 500 million, you know, devices in the United States alone, uh, with a population of 300 million. So, yeah.
0: So what this means is that a bunch of us are carrying around two phones. Yeah. You've got your, your work phone and your personal phone.
1: Yeah. Or, or tablet. And, and, um, you know, I think that as you know, the millennial generation, uh, continues to grow up and become connected and engaged citizens, you know, they're, they're digital natives and they expect digital services and they want a way to interact with you know their their city and and the places that they live
0: yeah so you're saying that if cities want millennial college graduates or folks that have uh, learned and and want uh, these new technology jobs the city's going to need to provide services in a a mobile and tech friendly way or those folks are not going to choose that city as a place to move
1: That might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think, uh, you know, to increase civic engagement and and to make sure that folks have access to the services that are available to them. You know, if it's a a paper-based process, sometimes people won't be bothered, but if it's something they can do from the comfort of their couch, um, you know, or in the case for the utility assistance program, um, you know, they no longer have to take time off work to to submit this. It's a it's a huge win. It it makes it more accessible to the folks who need it the most. And you know, ultimately, any department of human services in any city, I think, is the goal is to you know help those who are most in need.
0: Yeah, I know here in San Antonio as well, but we've got 311 SA, which is a mobile app. So that if you have heard about Column 311 before. That's where you could report stuff like graffiti, potholes, and on all sorts of other different things, uh, s- loose animals, and all, all kinds of uh, different city services are accessed through 311, the phone number. Well, there's a mobile app now where you can, if you see a pothole in the street, you can take a picture of it. You can show them immediately how big that pothole is and maybe how dangerous it is. Um, and with the GPS, it will flag exactly where that's at for the city worker. And I, I know on, on my drive in, uh, with the big rainstorms we just had there was a huge one that got washed out that might have been three feet long uh, about a foot and a half wide maybe a, a foot deep like break off your your rim size pothole um, and I'm sure it got flagged and photographed it was filled within 24 hours so these are kind of things that Um, before that might've gone for weeks because it wasn't easy for the city to know, Oh man, that's really actually an urgent pothole. We should go fix this immediately. Yeah.
1: You know, we have a a huge, uh, we're coming up on hurricane season. We have a a lot of hurricanes moving up the East coast and, you know, you think about the need to fix, you know, downed power lines and, and um, you know, to be able to, to repair things that are in need. Well, by, you know, taking an image of it, they can verify that this isn't actually very severe and and actually take a a GPS coordinate of of where the instance is. So, um, you know, these types of digital services are going to distinguish the the cities that are going to continue that growth trajectory and be able to uh, entice uh, both businesses and knowledge workers, you know to to their cities and which will ultimately you know raise the tax revenue base for the city and Im- improve the quality of life for the folks living there
0: so uh i know we've we've been focused mostly on government tax but you guys as uh, mentioned at the start of the program also do some some private sector projects and uh I want to cover one of those here before we wrap the program up. But if you just uh, turned on the radio right now and you wondered what the heck is going on, this is uh, 1200 WAI. Uh, This is CyberTalk Radio, and we're talking about government technology. Um, At the start of the program, we went through some of the security concerns about data and digital and all of this. If you uh, wanted to listen to that, this will be up on our website and podcasting services on Tuesday, October the 9th. Uh, You can find us on the web at www.cybertalkradio.com or on iTunes, uh, Pocket Casts, or uh, any other podcasting app out there. If uh, you are listening to us on one of those podcast apps, thank you very much. If uh, you do have a favorite app and we're not there, uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know which podcasting service you prefer. Uh, We will add our content and get you a T-shirt. Michael, on the the private sector side of stuff as we had that news traffic and weather update at the bottom of the hour we had mentioned uh, you worked with a, a manufacturer that was trying to to digitize their supply chain and ordering process and they went with the project in, in i'm going to call it the old waterfall style model where they wrote a giant check up front they um kneeled down on their hands and knees they started to pray that this thing was going to work right and then from your talk i guess it, it did not go so well
1: yeah, I mean, uh, the last you know 20 years of the, is littered with, you know, $100 million implementations that failed and brought businesses to a grinding halt. And in this particular manufacturer's case, I think they spent about $20 million trying to implement an ERP system to replace uh, an Excel and email-based ordering process. And uh, it was a failed implementation. Ultimately, they had to sell their business uh, to a competitor. And um, the competitor actually is now closed. Um, The founders regrouped. They decided that they were going to do it right this time and, uh, you know, stayed on the email and Excel process until it became a big enough problem. And Kinetic got involved with some of their largest distributors, uh, wanted to understand what the bottleneck was, Worked to address those problems, uh, like we discussed earlier, in an agile and iterative fashion, ultimately, got sign off and then was able to roll that solution out across the network and so what what they've seen and what I think other organizations and and leaders need to understand and embrace is that technology custom off, custom software solutions particularly deployed in the cloud Um, can be done at minimal risk to your business. You can, you know, fail cheap and fail fast, get that feedback, improve it, and ultimately you get a a solution that you want uh, for a much more affordable price.
0: And yeah, with the kind of flexibility of the cloud, you can afford to run in parallel much easier because in in a normal... Uh, way things were done 10 years ago you had to buy a bunch of servers you had to put them in a data center and then if the project didn't work you still had the servers you still had the data center lease, you were stuck with all of this stuff in the the cloud world you can run this up spin it up in parallel to your existing business process and if the new system doesn't work you spin it back down and, and the cost stops
1: yeah, it's. I mean, that's the whole point of the as a service model, and and um, you know what we're seeing in the marketplace is you know uh, businesses are adopting and in, in cities as well a uh, uh, bimodal uh, IT approach where your your systems of record, your your main data stores, you know, still use that traditional waterfall methodology, but then um there's uh the second mode mode two that's uh rapid innovation and they're looking to you know extend those systems offer mobile and and other digital services try them out see if they work and if they don't they can spin them down but it it allows you the flexibility to uh you know experiment and innovate uh in an iterative fashion very quickly and and affordably
0: yeah so i mean isn't this all done though i I, so we've um, heard about business process optimization consultants out there for 20 years now and business process automation they've been talking about for for 20 years and uh we've gone through this program on a, a couple of example scenarios now but i mean are these just the last the last bits out there or i mean is is it what you're seeing that all of this 20 years of of business process optimization and automation has been a lot more talk than it has been actual successful projects.
1: Uh, Yeah. I I think, you know, we, again, we talked about artificial intelligence and kind of the fear mongering. Um, I think some of the business process optimization stuff, uh, has been, uh, you know, on, on the hype cycle. And, and so now we're actually starting to see the benefits, you know, like we said, San Antonio's, uh, you know, one of the top 10 largest cities in the country, um, and, and this is, you know, the application we digitize for DHS is I think one of 10 or 11 that they have. So there's uh, significant room for improvement within all types of government organizations and all different types of cities. And I think it's, it's, uh, up to the, the forward thinking leaders to em- embrace that digitization, recognize that it's not going to replace jobs. But it's going to allow uh, the folks who are doing that work to be repurposed for uh, higher value added uh, services. And and that's a really exciting thing.
0: Yeah. So for big cities, I I see how this makes sense. what about all these small towns scattered across the U.S. and the rest of the the world? So they're trying to uh, keep the residents happy as well. If you're a spread out rural uh, area uh, town, you might have real low population density um, you you still got to provide services to all of these folks. I mean does the cloud change fundamentally how uh, small cities and, and small towns can do technology for their citizens?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know as long as there's a solid internet connection and that's you know part of what we talked about investing in that infrastructure to to try to encourage folks to move there. Um, but you know you think about a paper bra- paper-based process for a, a very rural city, Um, You know, there's going to be that cost and folks are going to have to travel, you know, take time, gas money, get around. And and when you're able to communicate digitally, um, you can separate that or you can bring down that divide and and engage your population um, in a more meaningful way.
0: Uh, If our listeners now want to get in contact with you guys, where do they find you on the Internet?
1: Yeah, we're at uh, kineticcloud.com, K-I-N-E-T-E-C-H, cloud. Um, so kinetic's kind of a play on kinetic energy. Um, I was a little bit of a physics nerd when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, for folks who aren't aware, kinetic energy is potential energy in motion. And um, that's kind of what kinetic does for businesses. You know, technology is always changing. Uh, we talked a little bit about that as a service. You know, we take that that burden of the change for the organizations and are kind of like this little innovation department within our, our client partners that we work with. So what's, uh,
0: what's on the horizon for, for you guys in, uh, in 2019?
1: yeah, we're looking uh, to roll this uh, service out to other cities that are interested. Um, you know, we talked about smaller cities having that accessibility with the cloud. We can scale it to them in a, in a cost affordable way. So um, offering that service to them. We also have some clients in the private sector that we're looking to engage. I think there's a lot of interesting, interesting things going on in the healthcare space. Um, so helping digitize uh, benefit renewal programs is, is a big thing for kinetic. And uh, we also have some clients in financial services. So the, the goal is to continue to to grow the organization here in San Antonio and, and our other offices and uh, hopefully be an Inc 5,000 company by 2020.
0: Well, Michael, thank you for joining us on cyber talk radio. Uh, this has been a exciting conversation for me. I'm looking forward to, uh, you doing more projects for the city of San Antonio, where I happen to live, uh, and hopefully our listeners out there in podcast land are uh, looking forward to uh, you or uh, somebody else going, "Man, we should be doing this for our city." And they start up the uh, the next cloud or whatever they want to call their company, and they go try to help their cities modernize. But uh, I mean, this uh, project you've done with DHS here is a, a great one, and I'm sure uh, many other cities that have. Uh, utility assistance programs may be looking for uh, a similar way to to modernize that and make it more accessible for uh, their residents uh, that are in need uh, if you uh, just turned your radio on now this is cyber talk radio if you just turned on 1200 WAI right now this is cyber talk radio and uh, you can catch us on the web at www.cybertalkradio.com and you can get a rebroadcast of this episode and uh, all of those on our website or on your favorite podcasting service